guys, gals, how's it going? Having a good time so far? I know it's Well, on behalf of Brian and Gwen and everybody else who's involved in the Lovecraft Film Festival, I want to welcome you to Curse of the Crimson Altar, which is also a fantastic movie. Who here has seen the movie before? Anybody? Then you guys know what you're in for. You, the rest of y'all, you're in for a treat. So, my name is Derek M. Cook. I'm a writer, I'm a panelist this weekend, and I'm a podcaster. I produce a couple of different movie podcasts. I produce the 1951 Down Place podcast, which is all about Hammer films. And I produce Monster Kid Radio, which is a twice-weekly podcast about the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear, which means this movie is right in my wheelhouse. It's a British film. It's from 1968. It's from the UK. And I think a lot of times when people think about British horror movies, at least classic British horror movies, they think about Hammer films. And rightly so. I mean, they ran the game from the 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s, and I guess kind of sort of now, too. But they weren't alone. I mean, there was Amicus Productions. They did a lot of anthology films. Uh, and then there was Tygon Productions, which is probably best known for producing the film Witchfinder General with Vincent Price. Uh, that's an excellent film. And this one, I think, is actually just as good. I really enjoy this movie. It's probably my favorite Boris Karloff non-universal monster movie. The theme this weekend is Dreams of the Witch House. And this movie kind of, sort of, is inspired by that movie, maybe. I think maybe the screenwriters walked through the same room of somebody reading the story at one point and heard something, I'm not sure. Barbara Steele's in the movie, and she plays Lavinia, which is probably the closest connection to the actual text you're going to find in the film. doesn't matter. She's great in the movie. She's beautiful. She's terrifying. She's charismatic. She's engaging. She's scary as hell, but it's Barbara Steele, so you can't go wrong there. The main cast, though, we're talking about people like Christopher Lee, and Boris Karloff. I mean, a couple of horror heavyweights, especially, I mean, Christopher Lee's done, like Hammer, Amicus, Tygon. I mean, Christopher Lee, why not? Why not? Now, this was not the first time Christopher Lee and Boris Karloff actually did a movie together. They did a movie called Quarters of Blood together at one point, which is also a good film. Uh, but in this film, Christopher Lee's kind of doing his dastardly best to maybe mislead our lead character a little bit. We'll talk about that here in a second. Boris Karloff, though, I mean, the legend, right? Karloff is king. Come on, we can just believe. That's right, we're Boris Karloff, the mummy, Frankenstein's monster, a whole bunch of horror movies and thrillers for Universal and a bunch of other studios and television. I mean, the man is a legend. And he continues to deliver a legendary performance in this film as well, even though he was sick. He delivers most of the film from, uh, most of his performance, excuse me, from a wheelchair. The word is, is that he actually got pneumonia while making this movie and eventually passed away not too long after this film was released. In fact, this movie was the last film to be released that he was in during his lifetime. It was the last film that he was in in the UK. Uh, the last film that he actually filmed in his home country before uh, passing on. There were a couple of movies after he had passed away, but they were shot in like Mexico and I don't know if they count. Um, <laughs> Now, I mentioned Christopher Lee, I mentioned Boris Karloff. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention another horror mainstay, especially when you think of Christopher Lee and his association with Hammer Films. Michael Goff is in this movie as well. Michael Goff was with Christopher Lee in the horror of Dracula, or the movie Dracula as it was released over there by Hammer. Kids from the 80s probably know Michael Goff better as Alfred from Burton's Batman films. Interestingly enough, he does play a manservant in this movie as well, but not quite as uh, 
in touch with his uh, mental facilities as Alfred was in the Batman movies. One thing that I like about this movie is that Tygon didn't necessarily hire a composer to do a complete original score for them. They picked up some music from some music libraries, which was pretty common for some low-budget film production. But what that means is that every once in a while you might be watching a horror movie and you'll hear some music that sounds familiar from something else. If you listen real carefully, you're going to hear some music that you might have heard of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> the lead performer in this movie is Mark Eden. Now, I don't know if anybody here is a Doctor Who fan. So Doctor Who, uh, Mark Eden was just recently in the docudrama An Adventure in Space and Time. Uh, which is about the uh, first season of the original Doctor Who, which is fitting because Mark Eaton actually did some classic Doctor Who, as did the female lead in this movie, Virginia Wetherill. She was also in some original 1968, I believe, Doctor Who. I'm not a Whovian, so I don't know for sure, uh, but that's what she did. The reason I'm excited about introducing this movie for Gwen and Brian and everybody else at the Lovecraft Film Festival is because the first time I saw this movie was right here, and I believe it was actually in this theater 10 years ago in the 2004 H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. At that point, there wasn't a Cthulhu Con, but whatever. I don't remember which seat I was in. I mean, they've changed the seat since then. It's been 10 years since, I don't know, whatever. But I loved the movie back then. It made a really big impression on me. Like I said, it's my favorite non-universal Boris Karloff film. I hope you guys and gals dig it, and I hope you guys and gals dig the rest of the Lovecraft Film Festival. Brian and Gwen have done a wonderful job putting together a great selection of movies and shorts and events and all that. I'm going to be on a panel Sunday night with Doug Bradley. I mean, come on. I might not be able to say anything when I'm talking to you, know, but whatever. I hope you guys enjoy the movie. If you guys want to talk about classic monster movies after the movie, between shows, whatever, look me up. I'm easy to find. I don't blend in very well. I hope to talk to you guys later, and I hope you guys enjoy the movie. It was Karloff that got me into the Egyptian cult. Oh, nice. That movie's fantastic. I love that movie. It's so good. Thank you very much. Yeah, enjoy the movie. I thought I'd kick off this episode of Monster Kid Radio with the song Rocket Man from the band Necronomicids. It's available off their self-titled album, Necronomicids. You can find it over at necronomicids.bandcamp.com. I am your producer and host, Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to this week's episodes of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. You're going to hear that song in its entirety at the end of this episode. We are playing the Necronomic Kids this week, with their permission, because we are covering the Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu Con, the 2014 edition. Now, it's Sunday morning as I record this. I'm about to head over to the Hollywood Theater. I'm actually in the parking lot right now outside the Hollywood Senior Center, or as it's known this weekend as the EOD Center, the Esoteric Order of Dagon Center. Yeah, the festival has spilled out of just the theater and now has taken over two buildings for all the stuff that we are doing this weekend. We've got feature films, we've got short films, we've got panels, we've got readings, we've got an art contest, we've got a film contest, there's all sorts of things happening. Now, it's impossible for me to do it all. There's just no way to do it. I don't care how many times I roll that sanity check, I just am not going to make it. I can't get everything in. But what we are going to get is my thoughts about the festival, 
We're going to hear from Chris McMillan and Ray Jelinek. We have some interviews that we did at the festival, some interviews that I'm going to be doing later today at the festival. We have a recording from a panel that I was on with a bunch of other folks. That'll be coming out eh, probably down the line. Not going to happen in this episode because in this episode, we're going to do mostly the interviews that we did at the festival and just really get you caught up to speed and let you know what happened at the show. Now, Friday and Saturday, I introduced the movie Curse of the Crimson Altar. That was a real treat. And by the way, if there's any listeners of Monster Kid Radio, new or old, who came out to support me and support the film and actually joined me in the Hollywood Theater for that showing, it was great to see you. Thank you for coming out. Let's get through some of our business real quick. You can always find us in the iTunes store or on Stitcher or any other podcast directory. And hey, heads up. Remember, we've got the 50 review challenge. If we get 50 honest reviews in the iTunes store, I'm going to launch a spinoff show devoted to nothing but Creature from the Black Lagoon. So if you are an iTunes user and you haven't given us a review yet, I'm going to ask you to do so. You can also find us over on Facebook. We have a page and we have a group. Now, if you join the group, That's where we get into conversations about things between episodes. If you are a Facebook user, I'm going to ask you to give us a like on Facebook as well. And I'm also going to ask you to do me a solid. A lot of people have been talking about this. Facebook has kind of changed how they do things. Just because you like an organization or a company or a business on Facebook doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to get every announcement that's made on that organization or company's Facebook page unless that organization or company is dropping some money into advertising on Facebook. Well, Monster Kid Radio doesn't have the advertising budget, but it does have a deep fan base. And I'm going to ask you, if you see our announcements about new episodes on the Facebook page, feel free to share it. Let your friends know, let everybody know that you are a fan and listening to Monster Kid Radio, the Rondo Award-nominated Monster Kid Radio. That's right. Monster Kid Radio was nominated for a Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award over at RondoAward.com. We are up for an award in the Best Multimedia Horror category. And, uh, you know, you really need to check out the ballot. The whole thing. Not just our category, but every one of those categories has great material. Books, blogs, magazines, toys, movies, TV shows. You got to go check it out. And then vote for your favorites by sending an email to Taraco at AOL.com. That's T-A-R-A-C-O at AOL.com. Follow the link in the show notes over to RondoAward.com to look at the ballot yourself. Speaking of the show notes, it's going to be littered with links to everybody that we've talked to at the festival. If you hear somebody on the show that you want to learn more about, maybe check out their books or whatever, go to the show notes over at MonsterKidRadio.net. Clickety-click, and you're going to get over to their website as well. If you want to drop us an email, you can email us at MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com, or you can send us a voicemail at 503 479 5 M-K-R. Any feedback that we get, we may use in a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. I'm eager to get to some of the recordings that we took at the Lovecraft Film Festival in Cthulhu Con. We'll do that right after this. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Down Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. 
Hammer, wasn't that an 80s cop show on ABC with David Raish? This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Wait, that was Sledgehammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. with David Agronoff, and I'm going to try to get the name right before we started recording. How's it going, David? Yeah, it's going great. Uh, Lovecraft Fest gets better every year. I'm super excited about it. It's my uh, annual tradition here. I love doing this thing. And I met you last year when I picked up your book, Hunting the Moon Tribe. Yeah, um, I was really really excited to be selling Hunting the Moon Tribe. Uh, That's a book I worked on for close to 15 years off and on. I mean, the actual writing of the book only took three months, but uh, research and everything on on, on that one was was real, real long. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Hunting the Moon Tribe is a kung fu vampire crossover. So there's like, uh, there's tons of Chinese mythology and uh, an actual mythological creatures from you know china's mythology so and and i spent years and years researching that and by years and years of research i mean also watching like a ton (laughs) of shaw brothers movies and hong kong movies from the 90s chinese ghost story bride with white hair that kind of stuff are huge influences on that book i picked up a lot of legend of the seven golden vampires in that Yeah, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires was a big influence in the sense that I like Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, but it wasn't exactly what I was looking for in a vampire. Like, it was just a little bit too goofy. Um, I wanted something that was a little bit more serious of vampires and monsters. But the biggest influence on Hunting the Moon Tribe, and this is something that I think your listeners will be super into, is that when I was a kid growing up in Indiana, we had a horror host named named uh, Sammy Terry, who, and his son is actually carrying on Sammy Terry today. Growing up, that's kind of how I got into horror, was uh, Sammy Terry would show old Hammer movies, you know, like Dracula's Risen from the Grave, Twins of Evil, stuff like that. And since it was on Friday night at 11.30, I couldn't stay up all the time on, during the school year to watch it, so I would set my Betamax, I'm dating myself here, <laughs> but I would set my Betamax to record Sammy Terry, and then right after Sammy Terry at 1.30 in the morning, uh, they had Black Belt Theater. So I ended up with all these double features that would be like Twins of Evil and Fist of the White Lotus, or, you know, Dracula's Risen from the Grave, and you know, the heroic ones or Heads for Sale, like all these awesome like old Shaw Brothers movies. And so what I wanted to do with Hunting the Moon Tribe was kind of pay that forward and that influence forward and do something that had, you know, that seemed like a Sammy Terry double feature. I definitely got that vibe. It feels like a monster kung fu mashup blend. I dug the hell out of it. I bought it uh, last year. I had to sign it. I've read it. I've loved it. Well, thank you. Um, I, it's the book that I sell the least of for some reason. No. and Yeah. It's not as uh, marketable as, like, Vegan Revolution with Zombies, obviously. But uh, <laughs> but at the same time, like, Hunting the Moon Tribe is, a, is very... I'm very passionate about it because it's a book that 
you know, like I said, it's those influences. And to me, it's a really good adventure story, too. I like the, you know, that they have to climb up the steps of Shaolin Mountain to earn their way to the, the gates of Chinese hell and all that stuff. And, you know, it's really fun. It, it started life as a screenplay, actually. Oh, really? And, yeah, it's, and it actually was nominated for, well, it was a semi-finalist, the Nickel, Nickel Fellowship, which is like... Oh, wow. The Nickel Fellowship is a screenwriting contest, amateur screenwriting contest put on by the Oscars, and Hunting the Moon Tribe actually placed. Um, wow. Yeah, and I actually met with lots of production companies and stuff in the wake of that who were interested in the script, but the problem was it was an all-Chinese cast with the giant effects budget, and I was just 10 years ahead of the curve because right now Hollywood's looking for movies to market to China, and um, I'd probably do better with it now. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to do another draft of the screenplay and try to hope to, to shop it around because from screenplay to novel, which I did screenplay first, and then the novel, I expanded the story quite a bit Um, and because I wasn't worried about trying to make it a low effects budget which apparently I didn't accomplish in the script anyways because that's what everyone told me but yeah I'm I'm really proud of Hunting the Moon Tribe I'm glad you liked it and hopefully we can encourage a few people to read it because it's definitely you know uh, Vegan Rev outsells it 44 to 1 (laughs) <laughs> well, that's a zombie book, and you know, you put zombie on a cover, so right, right, yeah. Vegan Revolution with Zombies was my first release novel, but Hunting the Moon Tribe was the first one I ever wrote. Oh. So, but yeah, Vegan Revolution with Zombies is a, a, a Portland novel too, and it, it takes place here in Portland, and that doesn't hurt. Uh, Portlandia actually came out after Vegan Rev with Zombies, but because I make fun of hipsters in Portland, that um, actually Portlandia actually helped <laughs> uh, because people were looking for more. Uh, you know, more humor and more satire about Portland. And so it actually really helped my sales. Well, I'm looking at the table down there, uh, the Eraserhead Press Group. And yeah. you've got another book on the table now. Yeah, I just released a new novel called uh, Boot Boys of the Wolf Reich. And uh, Boot Boys of the Wolf Reich is... It's a coming-of-age novel, coming-of-age horror novel about uh, skinheads in the summer of 1989 in Chicago. So it has a real 80s punk rock vibe to it. But at the same time, because, you know, that's when I grew up. You know, Stephen King and Robert McCammon, when they write a coming-of-age novel, they, they write about the 50s. But I'm writing about the 80s and punk rock because that's how I grew up. And I was actually an anti-racist skinhead when I was um, a teenager. Um, you know, I'm Jewish. My family's Jewish, obviously. It was anti- I was an anti-racist skinhead. And, you know, a lot of people don't even know that, that the original skinheads were black and that the Nazi skinheads just kind of assimilated this culture that, you know, was really diametrically opposed to the original roots of it. And so what this novel is about is actually about a, a gang war between anti-racist skinheads and Nazi skinheads. And the Nazis kind of adopt a werewolf cult and uh, end up because they keep losing their fights, and so they uh, so then the, that's where the werewolves come in. So it's Nazi skinheads, werewolves, coming of age. Um, you know, I've tried to hit a, a lot of things, but it's uh, recently out from Dead Eye Press. And if you're interested in, in Boot Boys of the Wolf Reich, we have um, a theme song out on YouTube called Howling in the Streets. And it's a, a, a skinhead rock style oi song, uh, <laughs> traditional oi song about the story. And it's really cool. And we're, But we're actually soon going to be recording a second song. And so eventually we may end up with a whole soundtrack. I'm not oh, sure. Wow. But uh, skinheads have a couple styles of music that they listen to. And one of it is this kind of street rock, early punk rock called oi. 
and um, so we wanted to do an Oi song to go with the uh, the release of the book, and people really liked it, so we said, screw it, we're going to do another one, and so the second song's coming real soon. It's uh, actually being recorded this weekend in England. Oh, wow. Okay, so we'll make sure there's a link to all that in the show notes. Yeah. Do you have a website that we can send people to? Well, I do a, a blog spot called, uh, well, it's just davidagronoff.blogspot.com, but um, people would probably be really interested in it that listen to your show because I, I review pretty much every novel that I read and I read lots of science fiction and horror and you know I have a gig as a critic for Monster Librarian which is a website that, that promotes horror to libraries and library collectors and so I do reviews for them but then I also put it on my blog they don't I mean I review every old book that I read on my blog and I just read the new stuff for Monster Librarian I think people would, you know, enjoy to see some of the reviews of the books because I'm a horror nerd as well, like probably many of the people listening to our voices right now, and uh, you know, so they can find stuff that I recommend, and you know, I can, you know, um, not to toot my own horn too much, but I consider myself a reader of of good taste in horror, so um, I think uh, people would enjoy that. And you know, uh, I also do things like um, like last year I did my a countdown of my top ten favorite horror novels. I remember that. Yeah, and I reviewed each one by week, and then I did my top ten bizarro science fiction, old school bizarro science fiction novels. And uh, because I like out of date science fiction, I like old school sixties science fiction like uh, Norman Spinrad or uh, John Bruner is my favorite and, you know so I reviewed a lot of those and there's some Ursula Le Guin in there and all that stuff and then with the top 10 horror novels you'll find uh, all kinds of stuff like um, and actually uh, my um, you know spoiler alert but uh, my number one favorite horror novel of all time Wet Bones by John Shirley I wrote so much about that book on my blog that it ended up becoming the bonus features in the Kindle edition and the the Russian edition of that book. And uh, I just can't say enough about uh, Wet Bones by John Shirley. And I I always want to kind of put a plug in there for that because I think it's a really underrated horror novel and I consider it the best uh, ever written. Wow. And I'm also excited that John himself, John Shirley, the author of Wet Bones, is going to be a guest of honor here at the World Horror Con in Portland next month. Now, you're going to be at that, right? Yeah, I'll be at World Horror Con. Um, that's the, actually the only reason I'm still living in Portland. Um, <laughs> because we, we're moving away from Portland and uh, back to California. And, but we wanted to um, stay through World Horror Con because I wanted to be able to ride my bike to World Horror Con. And um, <laughs> as I you know, rode my bike here all weekend. And so it was awesome. Two awesome Horror Cons, like, like two months in a row. Like... How uh, badass is that? I couldn't leave Portland before being able to experience that. Now, have you seen a lot of movies at the festival this weekend? You know what? This year I didn't. I watched some of Acker Monster, the um, uh, Jason and Sonny Brock's um, documentary about Forrest J. Ackerman. I did watch that, and it was really good. Um, I loved their documentary about Charles Beaumont, uh, the writer from The Twilight Zone. And uh, Well, I mean, he wrote a lot more than that. It's just That's where everybody knows him from. Anyways, uh, I watched more movies last year. But, you know, last year's movie was Prince of Darkness, which is Pr- Prince of Darkness is my favorite horror film of all time. And so it was kind of hard this year. But it was also interesting because Hellraiser is the, the big movie this year. And Prince of Darkness and Hellraiser came out the same summer. And, and they were very formative to me because they came out in the summer of 1987, which is the year that I was in seventh grade. 
And that's the year I discovered Sammy Terry that we were talking about. So the movies they showed last year and this year at the con are two of the most important horror movies to me personally because Hellraiser and Prince of Darkness informed my sensibilities because the summer that I discovered horror, they were the big movies that I had you know that I had my father take me to because I was too young to get into them by myself <laughs> well it's funny because my father took me to Hellraiser and uh, yeah my father Hellraiser <laughs> and halfway through the movie he turned to me and he said you gotta find somebody to take you next time <laughs> and uh, uh, I did uh, find somebody else to take me to Prince of Darkness but um, which I think he could have handled a little bit better yeah. But yeah, but what was awesome though is that, you know, here's a movie about sadomasochistic demons from another dimension and he didn't say you can't watch movies like this. He just said watch them with somebody else. <laughs> and uh but my father was a huge part of of how I became who I became because in that year my mother had just passed away and he knew that I was going through a tough time and he basically had said to me that year I'll buy you any book you want as long as you prove to me that you read it. And in 1987, not only did Prince of Darkness and Hellraiser come out, but that was the year Stephen King released four new novels. Uh, Misery, It, both came out in that year, Eyes of the Dragon, and Tommyknockers. And so I got all four of those on hardcover because Dad promised. (laughs) And on top of that, Damnation Game by Clive Barker came out. And so, you know, here I was, seventh grade, reading all those books. But uh, I still have my copy of The Stand that in the front of the book says, do social studies report uh, (laughs) that I had written uh, in the copy of The Stand that I read in seventh grade. And uh, so, you know, that year, Stephen King, Clive Barker, The Books of Blood was a huge part of who I became, not just a, a horror reader, but a serious horror reader, and not just, you know, because, like, I was reading good stuff. And, um, you know, I discovered Richard Matheson because I kept seeing his name in the Twilight Zone credits, so I went and bought, I went to the store, and I didn't know anything about I Am Legend, but I bought it because the cover was awesome. Here's a guy, like, with two stakes in his hands and vampires trying to pull him down, and I was like, that's awesome! This guy wrote for the Twilight Zone! I'm going to read this. And so I read I Am Legend that year. I mean, 1987 was crucial, crucial year for me in horror, and it's a huge part of, you know, how I became who I became. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to put links to your website and everything else that you do in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. Are your books available on Amazon? My three novels are available on Amazon. My uh, Wonderland Award-nominated short story collection, Screams from a Dying World, is currently out of print, but it will be back in print soon. Uh, I'm working on that right now. And I think, uh, you know, if you get Moon Tribe and Boot Boys together, it makes a great double feature. It's vampires (laughs) and werewolves. You know, Hunting the Moon Tribe is less punk rock than than the other novels, but uh, makes up for that with all kinds of Shaw Brothers references. So if you watched a bunch of Shaw Brothers movies when you were a kid, there's all kinds of little references there. If you know anything about Chinese mythology, there's characters you'll recognize from, like, The Three Kingdoms and from uh, Journey from the West and stuff like that. There's really uh, fun stuff to dig into there. I think people will like it. Fantastic. Well, thanks a lot. Enjoy the rest of the festival. Yeah, thanks, Derek. I love your show. Thanks. <laughs> well, you just ensured that it's going to make the cut, then. So. The listeners of Monster Kid Radio know that I love my film music, and I've got two guys with me right now whose music are on my iPod uh, pretty much in regular rotation. I've got Reber Clark. Hello. And Troy Sterling Nice. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. Doing all right. 
So, so what do you guys think of the festival so far? I'll start with Reaver. I always love this festival. I feel like I'm at home. Portland just feels great, and the people are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, the festival is really about the people. Uh, everybody is just so friendly. Everybody, you know, actors, artists, fans, you can just sit down with anybody and, and feel like you're a part of the family. So it's great. Have you guys seen a lot of movies yet so far? I've been busy. I've been, I've been trying. I've seen part of the shorts, and I was involved in the uh, Lovecraft Under the Gun 72 film, 72 hour project. I saw that, but otherwise, you know, running here and there. So it's kind of hard to see everything. This is the first year I've actually got to see a lot of. Uh, I saw some short blocks, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, like Reber said, we've been pretty busy. Uh, I do have some pretty good favorites this year already. So, like what? Um, the Heebie Jeebies, I thought was oh, yeah. genius. Uh, really great short film. And then I caught most of the Sunderland uh, project. I've heard good things. And it's very, yeah, very interesting. And I, I look forward to seeing that in its entirety. They did a great job. Do you have any favorites that you've seen? That I've seen. I haven't seen that many. There, I remember an animation one about a guy in hell that was really great. Oh, I can't no. remember the name yeah, of it. I have an octopus in my head. I have an octopus. Yeah, you have an octopus in your head. I <laughs> thought that was a, a really good one. That's one comes to mind. So I saw you guys on stage. You did some work for the HPLHS, doing the live reading of Dreams of the Witch House. What was that experience like for you guys? I was sound effects, so I I didn't have as big a burden as Troy did. He had to come up with something like 70 cues in two weeks (laughs) or something. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the the usual deadline thing. (laughs) You know, it was our intention to get the uh, Dark Adventure Radio episode on CD available for release here. But, you know, things happen, and we just decided that uh, let's, you know, focus on the live aspect of it. And uh, so the work that I was writing for the CD was transferred to stage in, in various different forms. And uh, that's ultimately what everybody heard. Now, when the CD comes out, the music is obviously probably going to be expounded on and, and maybe cut and pasted into things. You know how it changes. But uh, yeah, it was, it's great fun. You know, it's always a bit of an effort and uh, it pays off hearing those fans really enjoying themselves out there. Yeah, that's what I've noticed when we did Mountains of Madness last year. And at Necronomicon, uh, boy, the place was packed. Everybody seemed to really enjoy it. Yeah, I think we got more laughs this year. Though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some pretty hilarious lines in it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I got to play Robertson, kind of an idiot uh, Miskatonic math student. <laughs> and, uh, Is this going to be on the test? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with this stuff, you know. But, uh, so we got some pretty good laughs. And there's some, you know, just the, the typical one-liners, uh, you know, that really work on stage. We'll see if it does on, in the CD. <laughs> So it's not on CD yet, it will be, but there is a CD here that has some of your work on it. It's Out of the Eons, is that right? Out of the Eons, uh, music from a new dark age with uh, Troy, and actually it was Troy's original idea to get the composers together, Mars Homeworld, and Will Severin and myself, and put it together. He's been wanting to do it for a long time, and we all ended up at the Moon and Sixpence, which is a bar here in Portland, and we said, hey, let's do it. Yeah, so the idea was uh, I, I wanted to get all of our Lovecraftian composers together. And, uh, you know, there's always that competitive aspect, but I, not with this group. You know, we're a brotherhood of composers and uh, <laughs> helping each other out. And, and I just thought, why not do a collection of music? And so we had to discover what the vehicle was. And uh, Doug Jones, it was our narrator for the project. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah, and he's great. And um, that he's the glue that holds everything together. And we, you know, you might argue where there's so many disparate types of styles on it, but I think that's important to show that Lovecraft's works can be interpreted musically in so many different ways. You know, this year with the uh, Lovecraftian um, witch and the, and the 
the, the lot rock opera. You know, we've had you know different uh, performances of that. We heard the, the live and then the, the the acoustic version, and you know, so you can take all those elements and, and change them so many ways, and it all works. So with this project, uh, we each decided to do three tracks and um, just kind of did our own thing and bounced ideas off of each other. The next volume, we hope to do a lot more of a collaborative. Oh, there will be a volume two? Oh, yes, oh, yeah. absolutely. And uh, it's already kind of in the germination phase right now. So. Nice. Yeah. Now, I bought the CD Friday night. I've, nice. I've, I've got it in the much. car. I've Thanks. listened to it a little bit. I haven't listened through the whole thing in one sitting. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, where can people get it if they aren't here with us right now? Or is it available? It's limited edition, it isn't is, it? It's available as a download only at, uh, out of the eons. That's A-E-O-N-S dot bandcamp.com. But right now it's just here in hard copy. We did a short run of uh, CDs just to kind of test the waters, and a lot of people seem to like to have a hard copy. So... Um, if they sell, I'm, I, we think they'll be available through Arkham Bazaar, but we aren't. We don't have anything definite yet. Yeah, that's where they're available now at the festival upstairs, at the um, uh, Arkham Bazaar. And, Arkham yeah, there's Bazaar. there's a few vendors up there that have it available. Like Reber said, um, outoftheends.bandcamp.com available for download purchase. Uh, it's just a matter of time before the the physical version will be available online too. I would imagine. Okay. Um, but if you want to hear more from us in this capacity, then buy the album, and that'll help you know make the second one come to be. Or contact us on Facebook or through Bandcamp yeah. or any way we can get information for people that they want this. It'll make it go a lot faster. So I'm going to put a link to the Bandcamp site in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. Listeners, you got to check this out and tell them Monster Kid Radio sent you. It's got the Monster Kid Radio seal of approval. I love the music. I love your guys' work. Anyway, I've been a fan for years. So. Well, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Just got done having dinner Sunday night, so we've had most of the festival behind us. I'm sitting here, actually I'm standing here outside of, well, whatever restaurant this is, I forget, I've lost my... Yeah, sure, whatever, Ray. Um, (laughs) I lost my sanity check a long time ago. Sanity points are gone. Sanity points are gone, yeah. So we've got Ray Jelinek and we've got Chris McMillan. You guys have heard them on the show in the past repeatedly. I'm going to just kind of go around here. Ray, how you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. Chris? I'm doing real well. That... um pre-festival fuzz is starting to infect my brain but you know it's late sunday night what do you expect i, I am fuzzy and, and it's a good fuzz it's yes, a good yeah. fuzz so we've seen a number of movies we've sat in on some panels some readings q a's uh had our fill so ray highlights for the festival you know highlights from the festival would probably be the uh, hellraiser with uh, q a with doug bradley mm-hmm. that was my highlight and then a couple of the shorts those were pretty good too any particular shorts um, like you, I, I loved the Miskatonic University yes. short. I loved the uh, octopus in my brain from, I think that was the shorts one from Friday night. Um, other than that, I, everything else is yeah fuzzy. Ins- <laughs> insanity is gone already. Uh, it was here and gone this morning. So. <laughs> highlights for you, Chris. Um, oh, it'd have to be uh, Hellraiser on the big screen, the Q&A, Doug Bradley commenting on my kilt and asking me not to show him my Eldridge bits. I mean, you know, <laughs> my life is complete now. <laughs> oh, but is Doug Bradley's complete? That's what I want to know. I don't. Uh, no, I'm not going there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was a biggie. A um, couple of the shorts were really good. Some of the panels. Um, just, just being here is so amazing. It's so neat to meet all these people and... 
bump into people you haven't seen for a while, bump into new people who are like, yeah, you know, just great. So the audience has already heard the uh, intro that I did for The Curse of the Crimson Altar, which I think is the only feature that I... Actually, I take that back. I did not sit down to watch the whole feature of that either. I don't think I sat down to watch a full feature from start to finish this entire time because I was busy buzzing around trying to get shorts and readings and things like that. And neither one of you mentioned the best short of the festival. Now, I cannot remember the name of it, but I can remember the punchline. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I wish I knew the left, name. Left Miskatonic for a, a, a career, career in cans. The smartest character in any Lovecraft film I have ever seen took the advice of his buddy who said, that ancient tome you found buried in your predecessor's desk, don't read it. Throw it away. And he did, and went off to make cans and lived a happy life. Now, we're totally spoiling this, and you know what? It's such a short movie, it's hard to talk about without spoiling it. Now, Ray mentioned Miskatonic University. This is actually one that's been kind of floating around for a while. There's a Kickstarter project to get funds to make this thing, and it's, it's a pretty good period piece. Guy comes to work at Miskatonic. Uh, he's actually recruited by somebody who's questioning all the dreams and reports of seeing things in the salted desert that you know, he claimed to have seen. I thought it was a pretty good short. I liked the way it ended. And I think another one I liked was the, uh, the radio play of Dreams from the Witch House. Uh, the live presentation of that that was uh, a spectacle that I would have never experienced anywhere else. Did you sit on that? No, I didn't sit in the uh, radio play but I sat in the uh, selections from the rock opera of the Dreams of the Witch House mm-hmm. and that was spectacular. Yeah, that was awesome. Too. Yeah. I, uh, I did not do the rock opera, but I did sit in on the radio presentation from the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, the Dark Adventure Theater that they do. It's fantastic work. It's so good to see them do it live. I mean, it's just amazing. So that was cool. Uh, I really liked the short, The Void. <laughs> the Void was really good. And, you know, honestly, another one that I really enjoyed was from today's oh, presentation. Yes. Heebie-jeebies was cool. That, that was so that very was cool. fun. That was great. The best thing about the festival is these shorts sometimes because you don't know if you're ever going to see these things again. I am going to keep an eye out for some of these. I would love to see some of them get a DVD or at least a YouTube release. Um, so yeah, keep your ears open for anything about the heebie-jeebies because that was just a lot of fun. It was cute but terrifying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and there was a uh, back to shorts one or shorts two, whatever was Friday evening. Um, they did the six minutes from the Dreamlands uh, Indiegogo, okay. so they're trying to get funding for that. That looked intriguing to you know to see that. Uh, hopefully, they'll get their funding and, and go for a full feature because it looks like it would it would probably be a, a good film to watch. So, not to put anybody on the spot or whatever, but uh, what kind of swag did you guys pick up? I'll go to Chris here. Oh, I picked up a couple of uh, movies. I finally got a cop, a DVD copy of AM twelve hundred, which which I caught at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival a few years ago. But unfortunately, it was at a time where I was working six to three, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday during the festival. Oh. So I was actually head nodding during this thing, and I, I was terrified. But I was pulled between complete terror from this short and my body going, "No, you need to sleep." just go to sleep you've got to be back up at work at six o'clock get to sleep <laughs> um so that was great um picked up a few uh movies the manster and um, um brainiac um and i got a uh well i had doug bradley sign my hellraiser dvd um 
And I got. Listen to him say that. Oh, and I just had him sign that. Okay, yeah. You know, whatever. Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> um, and I did finally pick up a copy of uh, Witch Doctor, the um, first um, the first volume in a trade paperback, and got it signed by the writer, which is really cool because I've heard so much about it and I haven't seen it yet. So, yeah, did pretty good. Yeah, and then I picked up. I picked up mostly books. I uh, picked up the the Doug Bradley uh, book that he wrote. Had him sign that. Um, picked up a couple trades uh, from, well, Witch Doctor. I picked up both volumes, volume one and volume two, because I had never heard of it up to this point. Uh, and then just you know a couple, couple Cthulhu uh, anthology n- novels that that seemed interesting. Cthulhu versus shotguns. That was. <laughs> I had to pick that up just for the title alone. The title sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I picked up a couple of books as well, and you know, a couple of CDs, and you know, I'll talk about it on the show later when I, I'm sitting at the Monster Kid Radio Studio, and I've got my pile of stuff in front of me, and I can give it a proper rundown because right now, Festival Fuzz is is hanging heavily over all three of us. If the listeners can't tell, and I can't remember. <laughs> No, I mean, the, th- the problem with this festival is it's so big, and there's so much happening. You're trying to cram everything in, and you, you're really not going to, but you're still desperate to do it. Mm-hmm. And just at, so- at, at some point Sunday, you're going to hit overload and just go, okay, insanity has settled in, and I like it. <laughs> yeah, and with a film festival, I mean, you have so much, so much exposure. I mean, you have so much visual candy and... Your your brain kind of splits into multiple pieces when you're trying to to you know pull something you just watched, pull it apart and, and you know dissect it and get to the meat of the matter. While you're trying to focus on what's currently on the screen, and I think that's what really tears a person down with a film festival because you're just so inundated with with experience. Well, you know, like I did not get to see a lot of the movies. I saw a number of the shorts, and that's about it because I was busy working other things. But, um, yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying. There's so much to do. I mean, you, you try to go from one theater to another theater. The Hollywood has three screens, and the festival is, is taken over the Hollywood Senior Center, called it the Esoteric Order of Dagon Building, the EOD Center. And, I mean, there's content over there now, and there's an artist alley over there, so there's running back and forth. So at least you're forced to get some fresh air. So I guess that's a plus. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're, not, you're not in the Hollywood all day, yeah. Exactly. Which, which isn't a bad thing. It's a good no, theater. No, but, no, but, I mean, we actually had a sunny weekend here in Portland, and... That's a rarity, and so how do I spend it? Uh, in a dark theater watching Cthulhu movies. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, so the word on the street is that the next big H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in Cthulhu Con does not happen for a year and a half, October 2015. Now, I think I saw an ad that said something about a Cthulhu Con happening in the spring of next year as well, but I don't know what that is and how you separate that from the festival itself. Are you coming back in a year and a half? Oh yeah, I'm definitely uh, for the special guest alone. I mean, that's the the pinnacle for me. Who's the special guest? Uh, Charles Strauss, okay. who is at least in my experience, he's a science fiction writer. So I'm not sure where he's going to fit into the into the Cthulhu Con, but it'll be interesting to to do some back research and find out from that point. Oh yeah, I'll be here. I, I come <laughs> every year I can because you're going to see so much, and some of this stuff you'll never see on the big screen again. I mean, Hellraiser on the big screen. I mean, I've seen that movie countless times on VHS and DVD, and yet sixty foot screen, you're just noticing all this stuff that gets blurred when it's when it's brought down to a home entertainment system. I don't care how big your TV is, mm-hmm. it's not a sixty foot screen. Mm-hmm. 
and and it's so nice and so clear and so beautiful and then you get to meet all these great people so yeah i'll be here so the ad that i saw also said that they will be showing some new shorts but perhaps a collection of some of the better shorts from previous years and this is what's got me excited because some of these shorts you cannot find you see them once here and that's it so if we have like a greatest hits that would be sweet so yeah of course we're gonna be there i'm gonna be there right right. oh yeah Definitely. definitely All right, well, Ray, um, we're going to have you on the show in the near future to talk about the 1975 film, Inframan. That's going to be coming up here soon in the near future, so listeners can stay tuned for that. Probably within the next few weeks, you'll hear that. That'll be exciting. Any final words from you, Ray? No, I think I've just about covered it. Uh, Brain is shut down and, yeah, running on autopilot at this point. And then Chris, of course, can be found at The Shadow Over Portland, which there's a link on our website, not just in the show notes, but if you go to the links section of monsterkidradio.net, you'll find a link to The Shadow Over Portland. And we're going to have Chris on the show again. I think we were talking about The Fiend Without a Face. Yeah. So that'll happen. Any final words from you? Uh, Sanity points exhausted. Time to head home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm going to head back over and try to grab a few more interviews, but I'm actually going to end the show on this. So thank you for joining me and being part of my Lovecraft experience, uh, the film festival. It's great to see the movies and the panels, but it's also best when you can have those experiences with good friends. So thanks, guys. Yeah. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. It's the end of the day here on Sunday. Well, it's the end of my day here on Sunday. I had a great time at the Lovecraft Film Festival in CthulhuCon this year. I'm a little bummed that we have to wait a year and a half for the next one, but there will be some things between now and then that'll tide me over, I'm sure. I love this festival so much. I've gone to this thing every year from 2001, maybe 2002 onward. I'm a veteran. I'm a longtime attendee, and I wouldn't miss it for the world. And... I have to say I'm pretty excited that it's going to be held in October next year because for years, my October would not start until the Lovecraft Film Festival came and went. I've loved having it in May. Don't get me wrong. I'll take it any time. Hell, you want to do it again next weekend? I'm there. But there's something right about it taking place in October, and that's going to be a real treat. Brian and Gwen Callahan have taken the ball with the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival and run with it and scored multiple slam dunks. Andrew Migliori is the man who founded the festival, and he brought into the world something special. And when he announced his retirement, I know a lot of us were really concerned about what was going to happen next, who was going to take it over. Now, at that point, there was a spinoff festival happening in California as well, and there was some concern that maybe everything was going to go over there. There was one guy who was talking about maybe taking over the show, but whatever took place to drop the festival into the very capable hands of the Callahans, they need to be thanked because they've done a wonderful job keeping this thing going and growing. I've had a lot of fun here. I've seen a lot of wonderful movies, a lot of great shorts, made some new and old friends. And at this point, I'm repeating myself, because I've mentioned this with Ray and Chris already. The best thing about the festival is seeing these things, experiencing things with fellow fans, with fellow lurkers. You know what? I'm going to call myself a lurker. That's what Migliori used to call some of the old timers at the festival. Well, I'm a lurker at heart, and I hope... That if you are ever in the Portland, Oregon area, when the Lovecraft Film Festival is happening, that you are able to come to this event and just experience this community firsthand 
and become part of the community and make some new friends, strengthen some old relationships, and get inspired. That's the one thing that I take away every year from the Lovecraft Film Festival, and that's inspiration. When I first started going to the festival, I used to walk away from it thinking, I want to make a movie for next year. And I did that once. And now... I'm constantly thinking, I want to write something for next year. I want to have something in print. I want to write some Lovecraftian fiction. I want to write something with some Lovecraftian elements. I want to continue to create and contribute to the machine that is the Lovecraft mythos. The festival does that for me. I hope it's done that for you guys and gals as well. I hope you've at least enjoyed the recordings from the festival. Now, at this point, I'm still sitting in the parking lot. I'm not sitting at Monster Kid Radio Central, so I don't know how much content I've put into this particular episode if we're going to stretch it out for a couple of weeks or whatever. But I do know that here in a couple of days, you're going to hear another recording from the festival. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Rocket Man by the band The Necronomicids. It appears on their album, Necronomicids, which you can find over at necronomicids.bandcamp.com. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. Talk to you here in a couple of days. Mm-hmm.